Welcome to the Blue Cord Podcast. This is a place where everyday Christian women like you get inspired to be authentic witnesses in your daily life so that people who don't know Jesus come to know Him and make Him known. Welcome back to Season 6 of the Blue Cord. This is for everyday Christian women who want to find the courage to share what matters most and prepare their kids to do the same. Today's special guest is Andrina Sawyer. She's an author, business strategist, and she survived a civil war in Sierra Leone. But the thing I love most about her is how she's learning to overcome the doubt that impacts her Christian witness. Andrina, welcome. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this conversation. Yeah, let's just start with what you knew about God when you were growing up in Sierra Leone. Yeah. So I left Sierra Leone when I was nine. And I remember my first encounter with God was about seven, eight years old. And I tell the story of how our pastor made the call to salvation, an altar call, essentially, and said, if anyone wants to receive Jesus Christ, walk up to the altar. And I remember going up there, repeating the prayer. And that was my first real knowing that there was something that was intimate about this God experience. Prior to that, I went to church with my family. I ran around. I played. I did the things that kids do at church. But that yeah. walk to salvation, the walk to the front of the church was like my first real encounter. And I remember having dreams around that time. And you don't know how to process things. Seven, eight, nine, you don't know how to process things very well. But I just remember an awareness that there was something big out there. Uh-huh. And I was in relationship with him all of a sudden. Okay, so how did you get to the United States. So take us through that transition. How did you walk with the Lord through that season? Yeah, this was actually my first miraculous encounter with God Mm. because there was a civil war in Sierra Leone. It started in Liberia and made its way to Freetown, which is where I grew up. And it just so happened that my mom was working at KLM Airlines, and Mm -hmm. that's how we were able to leave the country. And so I remember that being overhearing the adults talk, but Even me, myself, I now know that's the Holy Spirit painting this picture of there are no coincidences with God. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that she happened to be working at KLM and the war made its way into Freetown and we were able to all get out of the country was the sequence of events. And what's really interesting is that my family wasn't Christian per se growing up. Uh They went to church occasionally, but my mom's youngest brother led her to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And he passed away shortly after becoming a believer. Mm -hmm. But as a result of his witness to her, she got saved. She became a discerning believer. And the Lord told her, you guys have to get out of here. And that's how we got out of the country. Wow. Okay, so now you're in the United States. And let's just fast forward a little bit. So I know at some point, you started to pursue the American dream, just the classic American dream story. And you were having a lot of success with that. As that was going on in your life, how were you practicing your faith then? Yeah, so I age appropriate thing. I remember like very seasonal experiences with God. Mm-hmm. So when my family first came, my parents were on fire for the Lord. We followed behind. And so we were in church six out of seven days a week, sometimes seven because they were just so grateful. I can appreciate that for what it is now about what the Lord had done. So they were on fire. They were involved in ministry stuff. So as a young person, that's what I did. 
Mm. As a teenager, I rededicated my life to the Lord when I was 15. Very emotional experience. And that really stirred my heart and led me to be more involved in youth ministry. And in high school, I was involved in ministry on my college campus. I remember being unapologetically bold Mm -hmm. in my high school campus and doing after-school clubs. The Lord just really did some stuff in my heart. And thankfully, I think that laid a foundation for later years, like college and campus ministry, all the way to now where God just has really captivated me. And He's covered me in many ways because each season and each chapter has been this it's appropriate hunger for God, but a hunger nonetheless. Yeah. So through all of that experience, what was really the catalyst that impacted you and ma- and maybe raised your awareness for people around you who didn't know him? Yeah. That's an interesting question because it doesn't feel genuine to take credit for anything that I intentionally did. Yeah. Uh, But I know that there was an awareness of gratitude, right? Soon as I got to a certain age, I realized I would never see my family. Oh, I thought I would never see my family, the aunts, cousins, those left behind. And I realized this was a permanent state for us. And I remember doing research on my own, but also hearing family conversations, meeting other people who came and immigrated to the United States and hearing about the toll of the war. So a lot of people died and not distant people, even people that were close to us. So gratitude for God, you literally transported my entire family. None was left behind. And saying, God, as an overflow of that gratitude, I will do my best to be sold out. And I think that's probably about the limit that I can say I intentionally cultivated. Yeah. But outside of that was really just the Holy Spirit and just the grace for compassion to say, I don't know, but I know that I've had this encounter that has changed my heart, changed my desires even, and I want everybody to experience this. I don't want people to go to hell. And however I can communicate that at 16 is how I'll do it, but I just, I don't want people to go to hell. Yeah. It's a happy kind of revelation as a teenager, but it was grace. So I know as I reflect back on my own Christian walk, I have to say that now I could see this role that doubt and unbelief played in my life where I really was fearing people more than I was fearing God. So I was afraid to offend people, assumptions about what non-believers thought. And I really look back on it and think my faith was very surface level. I didn't have that solid, sure foundation where I knew that the Lord was there with me. And that impacted my own Christian witness. Those were like the warning signs for me. And so I'm just curious For you, if as you reflect back and think, how did doubt or unbelief impact your Christian witness in your day to day? Yeah, I I dealt with the same. It was interesting because I had this assurance, right? Again, I can only give that and attribute that to the grace of God. But there was always a need in me to be a people pleaser. Mm. And so I remember coming to America and being teased a lot, right? Mm -hmm. In elementary school. I was told that I stunk. I was told that my accent was weird, all sorts of things that kids do. Yeah. Um, and I remember that kind of setting this foundation for wanting to fit in at school. Mm-hmm. So I started to compromise a bit up until about 15 when I had that encounter with God. The kids cursed that school. I cursed that school. The kids were nasty to the substitute teacher. I was nasty to the substitute teacher. 
And all of a sudden, it started to affect my relationship with God because I was processing how is it possible to live what I knew to be hypocrisy, right, in conduct, but still love God so much and whether God loved me in return, even though I was behaving this one way. And so as a kid, that's how it played out. But then as an adult, some of the doubt really anchored itself when I started to pray for things that I was not seeing God do. Mm. Mm. Like all the naivete of junior high school, like I'm on fire for God. Not naivete, but just it's grace, right? Because we're young. But as an adult, when you pray those prayers and you're like, but God, you were the God of my youth. Why are you not moving in the same way in my life? That really started this spiral of, is God real? Mm. Does he still love me? Are some of the things that I've done that I'm not proud of, are they affecting this relationship that for a season was like so beautiful and so young and so fresh? Mm. You bring up a, a really important topic because when I did focus groups across North America with wholehearted, faith-filled women, just to say, what are some of the things that hold you back from being an authentic witness in your daily life, cross faith and cultures with non-believers, atheists, agnostics? And the things that they shared really resonated with me. And one of the big ones was, I'm a people pleaser. I just don't want to be that. I wish I could grow past that. And I know certainly how God dealt with my own people pleasing. And I just would love to hear you just unpack a little bit more about your journey so that perhaps there's uh, one of our Blue Cord listeners right now and she's wondering, yeah, this is all good. I'm a people pleaser too. What can I do? Yeah. To that person, I'll say, uh, be gracious with yourself because it's a process. I've gone through many stages of attempts at people pleasing as a kid wanting to fit in and not eat so much. As an adult, as an entrepreneur, right? Feeling like if I'm too Christian, I'll lose business. And there are all these stages of attempts to people please. For me, God did something that was ironic which was that he isolated me. And I know that it was a divine Mm. isolation. Yeah, and it hurt. Mm. It hurt. And it was deconstructing some things in my heart. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like he was rebuilding me. And as he was rebuilding me, and I was dealing with the pain of rejection from these people, because I was so isolated, I had no choice but to cling to him. Mm. And in the process of clinging to him, I'm relearning my identity, right? I'm relearning what scripture says about me. I'm relearning how to deal with shame because a lot of what distanced me from him and had me running to people was like this shame of God can't see me. So maybe other flawed people can accept me too. And so it was a season. It was a long season. And every time I thought, man, I've got it now. I'm good. Something else would happen that would push me a little bit closer to him and reveal another element of people pleasing, but it was a process and it required me to be very patient and it required me to be very honest Mm. about the ways I was a people pleaser that I wasn't even aware of. Mm. So I would change. This is so good because in this process of people pleasing, we know we should know God more deeply so that we can make him known. And yet in this process, when we're worried about people more than we are God, then we don't have a faith worth sharing, right? And in this process of becoming and remembering who God is, who we are in Him, and what He called us to do, that's, I think, where I've certainly found the foundation 
to for moral courage and to really have this rock that I could stand on and know that I know who God is and who I am in him. And that makes me bold. Yes. And and it's the same way. I remember my best friend in college, Alyssa, she and I wrote this poem. We were both into poetry. It was a poem, I think it was called Ugly Beautiful. But there's a passage in the poem where she says, everything in the that the world wasn't to me, you were. And then she starts listing these very specific things like, when I couldn't afford this, Jehovah, you were a provider. When I felt ugly, you called me beautiful. And it's like mm. the process of actually even speaking those things out, like the specifics of the rejections that led me to wanting to be accepted to people and then meeting those with, but God, you were these things, just like it's so affirming. And it's, it was a very practical reminder and I was going through an entire season of that, right? These people don't like me. The men so, I'm trying to date don't want me and all this. But God, you called me beautiful and you said that I am the apple of your eye. So she paints this picture of this exact opposite. And she says, so everything that the world said that you're not, God says that you are. Hmm. And it's so interesting, Karen, because I remember after that season of God rebuilding and affirming me, even through that poem, starting to write some of those things in my mirror. Mm. And so confronting the reality of, but God, you said this. And eventually I got to a place where I'm like, okay, I believe this thing. But then I had to fight another kind of challenge, which was cynicism. All people are bad. God loves me. And it led to this other extreme, but it, it really was a process of like constant affirmation and reminders about what God said. Mm-hmm. And that is so good because... We have to deal with those parts of us so we can be whole, so that we have a faith we're sharing and we realize who God is so that we have compassion on those who do not so that we can share. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit more. So what else has the Lord taught you about how doubt and unbelief might impact your witness? I I believe that our relationship with God is not only the anchor, but it's the mirror for all of the relationships in our lives. Mm. So when I am not in a good place with God, I see that mirrored in other relationships. Mm. So there was a season that was very difficult. I'm a business owner and I've gone through seasons where I've lost literally everything. I share the testimony of being evicted from my apartment and my car being repossessed in a 24-hour period, Mm. right? And really questioning God, are you a good God? Because why would you let this thing happen? And I just remember that trickling into other relationships and really questioning whether people were good at their word. Can you be trusted? Do you have good intentions for me? Should I believe in what people say? Friends, doubt really, I think, plays a role when we feel like we can't trust God. It brings on this sense of insecurity Mm -hmm. that I think shapes the way we do life. It shapes the way we do relationships, shapes the way we pursue our goals. It shapes whether or not we even want to pray if we feel like it's worth it, right? Mm -hmm. Or go to charge or do the routine things that we usually do because there's this instability. Mm. You know what? This morning I was reading in the Bible the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. And when the Lord brought the manna to them, one of the first things they said is, what is this? What is this? 
And so God had just brought them out of Egypt and he's provided miraculous food for them. And that was not their expectation. They wanted something else like meat and potatoes, right? That was their expectation. And the Lord sent them manna that they didn't know what that was. And that was his best provision for them, but they didn't understand what God was doing in their lives. And I think sometimes, and I know certainly for me, I can get mired in my expectations for what I want God to do in my life. And I can bump up against that. And because he's not doing the things I want him to do, it can impact my witness, right? Who am I to be sharing when God's not working in my life? When maybe he's given me manna and I just need to see what he's doing in my life right now and go, what is this? And how can I be grateful for that? And can I trust him in that? Who else needs to know about that manna? That's so good. That's so good. It's like appreciation for the character of God that whether it's manna, whether it's, it is a season of, I just need you to wait on my provision. His character is still good. Mm -hmm. I've gone through seasons like that. Even the season that I'm describing where, again, I lost my home, lost my car, all sorts of stuff. I just remember after that season, God saying, character development is just as important as the external things. I'll never let you just wander. And so he provided to a couple um, at my church who allowed me to stay at their home. So there's always a plan. Scripture talks about if he can clothe the lilies and if he can feed the ravens, how much more us. So if we want the steak, right? And we want the fish, but he's, no, I've got the couple, i.e. the manor. <laughs> right. So there'll always be provision. But do you trust me? Do you trust me? And for so long as a child, it's the faith of my parents, the faith of my circumstances, the people around me dictated what I believed about God. Mm-hmm. And this was finally the point where God was saying, what do you believe about me as an individual? like a maturity thing. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. This manner doesn't taste good. And I'd rather not eat the manner. But I know you want me to get to a place where I say thank you for this because your grace is sufficient. Amen. So that, that phrase, what do you believe about me? It just makes me think I live in this cul-de-sac where there are eight nations represented. So right out my window, there is a refugee family here from Syria. And oftentimes the mother sits out on that front stoop in her hijab and she's smoking. And I think to myself, she doesn't know this living God that we know that we can trust. She knows God as someone who is harsh and there are rules that she needs to follow. And next to them, there's a family that is a Buddhist family and Hindu temples right close by. And so there are all these people around us who are striving, working so hard to follow after God as they know Him. And yet we have this profound gift where God is pursuing us and He is chasing us. And I think the great challenge for us in our generation, like you said, is just opening our eyes to see that manna around us so that we can let other people know about it as well. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful thing. When I describe my salvation experience, I include a lot of feelings, and I know salvation is way more than feelings, but that peace that I felt, like an immediate peace, what fueled me in high school to want to share and to be bold was like, I want everybody to experience this peace. 
Yeah. I want you to know what it feels like to not have to go through rules and regulations to feel accepted. I want you to know what it feels like to not have to perform. And so that's something that the Lord has placed in my heart too. When I see opportunities to evangelize or to just live a lifestyle of evangelism, is I just want you to experience that. The other stuff, right? The behavioral stuff, God will change. He will change that. But he's really after your heart. And if you will surrender that to him, he could literally change your life. Mm, Absolutely. As we wrap up our time together here, what's one thing that you would love, just that maybe the Lord's putting on your heart to share about just things we need to know, our listener needs to know about how doubt and unbelief can impact your witness, things you've learned in that, and just some pieces of advice you'd like to share. So to anyone that's dealing with doubt, I'd say recognize it for what it is, which is spiritual warfare. And I know sometimes we use that term and it sounds so heavy and so loaded, but the enemy wants us to not believe God and to not take him at his word. And so whatever form that looks like, whether it's like the inherent nature of who he is or his intentions about you, like he's always trying to get us to not believe him. And once you recognize it for what it is with just spiritual warfare, be okay with surrendering that to him and not feeling like you have to fight the doubt yourself. Yes. I went through times where I was like, if I just prayed more and fasted more, all of a sudden I would be like such a perfect question. But there were some days I just prayed the simple prayer that's echoed in scripture, which is God help my unbelief. And the extent of the prayer was, here's my heart. I'm really struggling with this help my unbelief. So to that person, I would say, be okay with surrendering it to God and be intentional about remembering. So many times scripture tells people, remember the Lord your God, like the instances, the situations where he came through and it was only him. Mm -hmm. I think the practice of that really does edify our faith as well. The same, if he's done it before and scripture says he's unchanging, same yesterday, today and forever, then he's able to do it again even if it's not on my timeline. Absolutely. And you know what? That's the whole point of the blue cord. So when the Lord gave the Israelites this passage and this remembering to to put a tassel on the hem of your robe so that every time you saw it, you would remember that I am your God and who you are in me and what I called you to do, that passage is in Numbers 1537. What a beautiful ending to our time together. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I want to hold just a moment here for our Blue Cord listener just to reflect back on the things that you heard Andrea share with us. And she gave us some really good points um, to give yourself grace, to remember, to just press in with your prayers and don't rely on your own understanding or power through in your own way. What is it that the Holy Spirit wants you to just marinate over in your own life? And what is it that He'd like you to do as a result of this? Thanks for joining me, Andrina. It was just a joy to have you on this podcast today. Thanks for joining me. I'd love to know more about you and how this podcast is serving you. Make sure to sign up to get our weekly emails on the website at thebluecord.org. Then when you get an email from me, you can jot me back a note. If you're enjoying the Blue Cord podcast or the book, would you post an online review so that others know what to expect? That would mean a lot. Thanks so much. Have a great week.